she knows sit. She knows how to paw at you. Like <laughs> that's, like, that's not a trick. You. She likes she likes to tap you. Like hey, she can close doors. I've told you this, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. If a thunderstorm is happening, she'll go to the bathroom and close the door. That is so sweet. Their little nose. Or me and Nicole were talking one day, and Nicole was out in the hallway, and I was brushing my teeth in the bathroom, and Cooper just thought, you know, this is a really boring conversation, and she just takes her little nose, and she just slams the door right there in front of me. <laughs> like, I'm tired of talking, Nicole. This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friend. I know politics bore you, but I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your racist friend. Welcome to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKees. And I'm here with Don Racist Griffin. <laughs> no, I'm the racist. I'll fight uh, you for it. Apparently <laughs> not, not from the, uh, according to those uh, HT uh, folks commenting on my status. There's a rule. Never look at the HT comments. I don't know if you remember back when HB6 was a thing for you out of staters. HB6 was a Indiana constitutional amendment to define marriage as between a man and a woman. And we went up to Indianapolis quite a little bit, and I had a four-year-old at the time, and my four-year-old went with us, and a picture of a bunch of us with the four-year-old wound up on the front page of the HT, and I, like, woke up that morning and was like, don't look at the comments. Don't look at the comments. What are those comments, I wonder? You looked at them. And I looked at them, and they were like... What kind of a parent exposes their child to that? They were ridiculous and mean and stupid. So my point is, don't look at the comments. Don't look at the comments. Yeah, you know, we just jumped into this conversation and they don't know. They have no idea what we're talking about. So we probably should tell them what what has gone, what what has happened. Yeah. Tell us the good news. uh, so, uh, it, it, I don't know. It's good news for some people. It's not so good news for others, I guess. I don't I'm, I'm interested in what it is for you. What it is for me? Uh, it, it, it's good news. Well, well, you know, I have a great life already. You know, I'm you doing... Do. I do. I really do. So, this is, this is a, definitely a change. Um, <laughs> the mayor had asked me to be his deputy mayor, and I accepted and it hit the newspaper friday there was a press release on friday of last week a few days ago a few days ago that's right that that uh, that i would be bloomington's next deputy mayor because the current deputy mayor is is retiring and so yeah it is a positive thing actually this is probably the first time i've actually talked about it so i'm just going through a readjustment period i think it's different it's definitely different uh, yeah, I, I always thought that all you know eyes were on me because I was a business owner, but I think this is this is different. It's a lot different. You know, it's okay. 
it's going to be funny because it'll be there's going to be people on the far right that dislike me, but then there's going to be people on the far left that also are going to say things. Yeah, you're going to get it from everywhere. So anyway, it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good thing in the sense that hopefully I can act as a bridge. I mean, our, our community is going through a lot right now uh, mm-hmm. with our homeless, with housing prices, um, you know, racial uh, issues that we've got, that racial divide, all kinds of stuff. And uh, being the deputy mayor, it kind of lands right on my front porch. Yeah. Not including everything else, just the normal things that a deputy mayor uh, would do, which is 16 different departments that report to you, including the, uh, the fire and the, the police department. So there's a lot going on, guys. And I'm not sure. I've got a lot to learn because I've just been doing real estate for 29 years. It's going to be a new job, but man, I am very excited to get started. Beyond excited to get It doesn't sound like it, um, <laughs> but you, the thing is, I, they need to know that right before we, when we started talking, that there were comments about yeah. a few negative comments in the Herald Times, which is our local paper, about me being a, a racist, which is interesting. Um, see, my real point is just that you're going to get it from all sides. Oh, I know. I knew that this would be yeah. uh, going in. Even with great intentions, I'm not going to be able to make everybody happy with the decisions that I make. No. Uh-uh. You know? And so some decisions that I'm going to have to make, it, look, it's not my administration, first of all. And so I'm going there to su- support, but I'm also going, also going there to, to advocate for everyone. Mm-hmm. What we do here probably has, <laughs> what we do here has prepared me for the ability to, you know, it's, it's made me a better listener, right? Well, I was actually just thinking that you're just naturally a pretty good listener, so. You say that after I just rambled on for God knows how long? I've been thinking about you a lot this week, and I've been thinking about support that you've given me at different times and your ability to listen like in our conversations, your ability to listen for the spirit of what I'm saying, as well as the content. I'm, I'm thinking of actually when I was starting my practice and I was like, I need you to help me find a place. I, I was looking for something, though, in case I screwed it up, is what I said. I'm like, I need a backup in case I screw this up. And you were like, I'm not going to help you find a backup in case you screw it up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But um, you know what? We did. That that, that building is an excellent <laughs> investment. <laughs> I mean, it's an excellent investment. It isn't a screw-up. It's actually it's, it's, it's a great foundation. But I always knew that you couldn't screw it up. It did change how I was thinking about it a little bit to, okay, what if, what if I can? And if the assumption isn't that I'm going to screw it up, so... <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot to learn, though. I'm going to be shadowing the current, uh, the the mayor and the deputy mayor for several weeks. I am having involuntary Parks and Rec images. So just. (laughs) Is that. that... (laughs) Of Leslie Nope and all of that. Uh huh. That is a department that uh, that will report to me. So that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, but there's, you know, hey, this is actually a time to promote. There are a few different farmer market opportunities that are going to be coming up this 
spring. And I think the more, the better. I think it will make Bloomington kind of this destination point, like, hey, let's go visit different farmer's markets. That would be cool. That would be cool. Right? I do know that, like, we will do our, our garden. Like, last year, we got a great start on our garden just by getting little packets from the people's market. And that was cool. Like, we would just say we want 10 plants. And it saved me decision-making, too. <laughs> I could just take the 10 plants and be like, this must be, these must be the plants that we need and plant them. <laughs> Very cool. Somebody's offering free seeds too, by the way. Not anymore. People no? are insane about seeds. So Wiley House was doing seeds every Friday for March and they ran out of seeds the first Friday. Wiley House. That's what I was thinking. Yes. The Wiley yeah. House. They're gone. Yeah. They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> oh. It's, people are apparently still planning on doing lots of gardening this spring, just like they did last spring uh-huh. when they were trapped at home. We're not really talking about racist stuff right now, I guess. When do, when's a good time to start planting stuff? Uh, I always plant my zinnias on Mother's Day because in Indiana, that's the day that in theory is the last frost. You know, it's so nice out. I'm like, oh, man, I need seeds. I need to. Like, start doing some planning, you know? Yeah, we, when we go on our walks, we see people digging up their yards. and They're already doing it, huh? Yep, they're doing it. Okay, then I need to get started. We need to get started. Yes, because I think you should be deputy mayor, a business owner, and I think you should do a kick-ass garden. <laughs> so what do we got new in racism today? Well, this week we have Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall forced to have a white person on their movie. It, yeah, the original... That would be Aunt Louis Anderson, wouldn't it? I guess. I haven't seen it yet. I remember his line about he was telling Eddie Murphy, because they're working in the fast food restaurant that's McDowell's instead of McDonald's, and he's telling him, like, you know, right now, you know, you're, you're just sweeping and mopping, but eventually, you know, he's like, I've been here for 10 years, and eventually they're going to put me on fries or something like that. <laughs> You just, you just keep it up. It's a great line. I didn't know that they had forced that, that they were forced to put him in there. Let's see. They thought about who they liked as a white comedian and picked Louie and then had to argue with the studio more. That is interesting. Uh, but that's good that they because he makes another appearance in the movie. The new one. Have yeah. you seen the new one already? I, yeah, I did. Is it good? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's entertainment. All right. It's silly, but silly's uh, good. I think we can use good. some silly. We need silly, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, what else? What about the our little, little poet, junior poet? Um. I'm just so proud of her. I guess she's a young African American woman who is incredibly talented, and I'm proud of her. Proud of her, like if she was my daughter. That I think that's kind of why I'm like she's adorable. You feel connected to her, and I feel connected to her. Yeah. She. She's a she's a badass. Her name is her Amanda name. Gorman. Amanda right? Gorman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a story about her. Remember that was she she was followed right because she looked suspicious. Right. Oh, I like her. Her tweet though is I am a threat. <laughs> God, we're all over the place. I think oh. we have a lot of nervous energy going on here today, and I know that on my part, like I have all this anxiety about your new job because I don't want people to be I keep thinking of Bev Boss 
And her thing with the little kid where the kid's like, I want this thing. And she's like, and I want you to have it. <laughs> and that's how I feel. Like, I want, I, I want you to have this. I want you to thrive and be that bridge. And I also have an awareness that there are parts of it that are going to suck. Yeah. And, and I'm holding that. Well, let me, let me put you at ease a little bit. Uh, and no, here's the thing. It's not your job. No, no, it's fine. Uh, but I'm trying to adapt. Yeah, I, I have a little anxiety. Uh, what drove me a lot was I had that inner, uh, that that underdog mentality, where I was doing things to prove people wrong. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. You know what? What I found out is that a lot of people don't see me as an underdog. No, they don't. Not anymore. They don't. They, they don't. And it, what's overwhelming is the amount of people that are excited and are expecting good, great things to happen because of this. Mm -hmm. And that puts a, a amount of pressure on me that I, I hadn't you know, ever thought about. I know I can do it, right? Mm -hmm. But I always go in thinking that no one else thinks that I can do it, right? This yeah. is different. This is different. This is, it, it's like being in a basketball game. And me, I've been thinking that I'm the guy that they finally call off the bench and the, the ball is given to me and I hit the, the last second three-pointer and everybody's like, oh my God, I can't believe he did that. But then realizing, you know what? That was me maybe when I was 10. It hasn't been me for a long time. And there's yeah. people that expect me to take the last shot. I know I can do this, but now there's the added pressure of other people now thinking that I can do it. And I'm not, I don't have to do it by myself. You know what I mean? I just have to bring people together and have them stop yelling at each other. How are you going to do that? I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know, but it, it's going to happen. It's, it, you know, yeah, I, I think my whole life has prepared me for this. Yes, I think it has. I was telling our oldest the other day about your first, your first real estate job when they were like, well, we don't know that we have enough. Yeah, yeah, right. Black people buying houses for you to have anything to do. And There's already one black real estate agent. Yeah. I and all that. Right, right. And that, I, I guess that is another thing that is sort of fueling all of my nervous energy and has been like, it has been a week where I have, and I know I'm not alone. Like there've been a lot of people that have been deeply disturbed and moved by all that's going on in our community. And I mean, I want better outcomes, right? I want, I want us to find some, some things that we can do to ease people's suffering in the community but it's not the thing that has like really hurt me oh dang this is really hard because i don't want to sound like i'm saying let's be more civil because i feel like that gets misused all the time to a silence people of color and b to not hear arguments that are important to hear and actually i'm using this I'm, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about people that specifically in the past I have heard say things like, let's be more civil. So on our neighborhood listserv, it got so ugly about the ordinance about where the people without homes could sleep. It felt to me like we weren't having a conversation about 
that. It felt more like we were having this like big fear barf. Like we all had the stomach flu of fear and we were all barfing it out on top of each other. And it was very ugly and smelled bad. And, and I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours then in the middle of the week that I haven't gotten to see nearly as much as I would like to over this. And she was saying, it just feels like we can't have a conversation. I want to be able to have conversations and I want to be open to listening to things that make me uncomfortable. It's been a while since I've gone back to Maureen Walker's disruptive empathy, but the idea of listening as though you don't know the end, as though you don't have this solution, as though you don't, as if you might not be right. And I'm not seeing a lot of that anywhere. And, and I know that I don't do that when I'm scared. Like when, when my fear has been activated, then I'm in like that anxious part of my brain and I can't do a good job of listening either. You know, what you're talking about is something that solutions like that solution and problems like that, I like that's going to be my freaking job. Yeah. You understand that? Yeah. And I can think of times that I've had conversations with people in positions like yours where I didn't know, like, where I had my idea of like what I wanted to happen. And when I had a deeper understanding of it, I shifted what I wanted as well. And so I think that can happen. This is one of the things that's going to keep me up at night. Like I need to find out what can legally be done. I really don't know. I'm going to have to sit down and say, okay, what's, here's the thing. I, we can all go in saying, if we're talking about that one true thing, one or two true things. Okay. Like, what's your true thing? No one wants to see people suffer. Yes. Got on either side to be homeless and hungry and dying on the street or dying in a park. If we're just talking about the, the city council, and how they voted. I know every single one of those people. Nobody wants that. And Amy, I, I drove by that site. I was there when that ambulance, I, I, I remember calling my wife and saying, Nicole, I see someone under a sheet and they're by the park bench right there by the sculpture. I said, I think I see somebody dead. I see somebody dead. Like, I, that's the first time I've ever seen someone dead on the street. Like, I, I think we've all been in the room when they've, maybe not everybody, but when you, they, your grandma has, is dying and they, or, or someone is dying and they have to turn off the machine. Or That's different than actually see suffering that just happens. And I remember that just shook me to the core that had a profound effect on me. I don't know if this guy uh, also takes shelter underneath my building or in the woods that's, you know, right there. That's yeah. on the, the property that my building's on. What, I don't know what the solution is yet. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I know I don't want it to, I don't ever want to see that again. Nobody in that administration, this keeps them up at night, too. I don't think there's anybody evil. I think that they're... Go ahead. What do you think? That intensity of the feeling that you're describing 
like seeing him. And I had, you know, a very strong reaction to seeing the body cam footage of the welt check on him. Like that level of stress and upset is not sustainable for our bodies. Like it can't, we can't stay in that place because we can't like, it's hard to think. And we also have to be able to think. And so there are different ways that we get out of it. And I think some people have sort of scripts that they use to avoid that feeling, to to get themselves out of that anxious state. And those scripts sometimes sound like, well, we have to do what we have to do to keep children safe. That's like a really common one is, is the, but the children argument. I keep seeing that woman in the Simpsons going, will somebody think of the children like that? Mm-hmm. Or we get into like a place of trying to decide who deserves stuff and who doesn't deserve stuff as though like we can tell from a distance who deserves what. So we'd like come up with these sort of simple stories in order to make ourselves not have to feel that awfulness. And I guess where I am right now is just that we have to keep looking at it. Like we don't get a look away right now and it's awful. And I think that we have to keep seeing it because that's the only way we're going to make progress. I think I've been living this duality Mm -hmm. thing. We sold sold you that building. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of the fact that that building is worth a lot more than what you bought it for. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually my job. Yes. And you're good at it. However, I also see what's happening to, as our community gets better, gets so-called better, meaning quality of life things, newer parks and walking trails and the beauty. Bloomington was already beautiful, but what's happening is it's attracting more, more money into our community because people can go anywhere now, right? They can live anywhere. And so we're seeing housing prices go up. And for me, for my job as a real estate agent who helps people get into houses, Mm -hmm. right? That's a positive thing that the real estate is going up. But what's happening also is that it's been a town that has been doing this for the last 20 years, 20 plus years, uh, have and have not. It is. There's a disparity and it's a paradox like how you want to do your job well and you want to support your family. And, and I get stuck in that too. Like I listened to this debate and then I thought I am going to put a porta potty at the end of our driveway and lay out some tarps so that people can. I hear you. Please do not do that. Well, and then I thought, you know, that would, it would, it honestly would scare my kids like to have strangers like right outside their windows at night. And I wouldn't get any sleep either. And then I thought, well, I'm a hypocrite. If I can't let people sleep in my own yard, then I'm a hypocrite for not, you know, like I, I got really stuck in like how to be a person I want to be in the middle of all this. Amy, this is a complicated thing. And we could simplify it. We could try to simplify it and say it isn't, but it is. That struggle that you have is a struggle that I think most people have, right? I mean, Yeah, yeah. I I know I'm not alone in that. 
you, it, you feel bad. Yeah. Uh, and I know we're talking about human lives, but we're, that's the point. We are talking about human lives. It needs to be safe for your, your children. It needs to be safe for you. But it also needs to be safe for the person that does not have, you know, with a roof over their head. Yeah. And, and I think that part of making it safe for our children is making it safe for everyone. Because back when I worked with adults with severe mental illness, like what we knew for sure was that the number one predictor of relapse and rehospitalization was insecure housing. Our, our motto was like, whatever it takes <laughs> to keep them in secure housing when they're not in the hospital. When I imagine the people who came into our office that might have frightened someone else, they, I, I don't think I get very flapped by it. Housing was a piece of it, like, and keeping them safe kept other people safe. But we've got like other things to talk about too. I wanna say that Amy Banks and Isaac Knapper are gonna be on the show on, on our next one. They have written a book together called Fighting Time, Amy Banks is also the author of Wired to Connect, which is a book that I frequently return to and recommend to people. So theirs is called what? Fighting Time. Fighting, Fighting Time. Okay. I've, I finished reading it. Yeah, I read it all in one sitting yesterday. Like, and I cried and gasped and all the things, all the feelings while I read it yesterday and it, it alternates point of view and basically Isaac and Amy were both the same age when the events happened that put them into each other's lives and it was that Amy's father was at a conference in New Orleans and was shot and killed outside his hotel and Isaac was imprisoned for that and not he didn't do it and was exonerated in 1992 and the the chapters go from amy talking about like the impact on her family and isaac describing you know like being a kid and going through this and court transcripts that just are stomach churning <sighs> yeah i don't know ultimately it's a, a book about connection as well but also about profound injustice and how that impacts. Okay. You okay? Yeah. yeah, I'm fine. It was a. It was not a light read. It seems like you're, you have some PTSD going on after. No, I. And you're. <laughs> it, I don't. I, I don't. I didn't say you did. I mean, I'm just saying you just <laughs> seem like uh, like it. It was intense. It it is it is intense. Just you going through it, I can see the tension. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds horrible. The situation. The situation, and it's 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 unfortunately not it's not just a unique situation. That's no, it's not years, right? Yeah. This is interesting that you actually have people that have came together from it, though. Yes, and what I think is cool about it, and what relates it to our conversation today, is that in order to do that, in order for, like, it, it wound up with Amy reaching out to the attorney who exonerated Isaac and asking to meet him, and Isaac was like, if it'll be helpful, I'll meet with you, like, just completely open mm -hmm. to be able to stay in touch with the feelings and the the really big feelings associated with that and to reach out for an authentic connection at the same time 
And I think that's what I'm saying about all of this work and about like the work you're going to be doing in building bridges is being able to like ground yourself and reach out. And that's hard. That, that takes a lot of courage what he he's, he's done. So it's not the same, but I understand what you're saying. Well, congratulations. You. What? Thank you. I love you guys. Really love you too. And um, I'm happy for you. And I want you to have this. I want it to go well. And I'm here like cheering for you. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, thank you. I, I need that. I'm going to need that. I'm going to need, I'm even going to need prayer. I don't say that that often, but uh, I'm ready for it. So let's do it. Let's go. Let's go community. All right. All right. Guys, I'll see you soon. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKee, LCSW, took place in separate locations in Indiana on Sunday, March 7, 2021, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Additional research provided by our BCC interns, Riley Cook and Constance Johnson. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your racist friend. Shit. I, 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 and I, I got to stop cursing, too, <laughs> a little bit. But Deputy mayors don't curse. Yeah, well, this one kind of does. <laughs>